Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. Right. Welcome, everyone, to our first virtual Keeping Up With Data with me, Joel Robinstein, and me, Emily Nota. And today we are joined by a great friend, Florence Lacabona. How are you doing, Florence? Um, excellent. Thank you. And uh, really happy to be with you guys. Be with you. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's a little bit different this time. But um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we're going to go over all the usual stuff that we do. Um, we've got data jokes. We've got Emily on the streets. We're going to ask you who your people in the zombie apocalypse are. Obviously, it's very important. Um, and we're going to do some stories around the world of data and why you're in it and, and try and learn as much as we can from you, Florence. So let's get started. Um, first things first, do you want to just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? It's always a great place to start, what you do and who you are. Yeah, so I'm Florence. I'm the head of data at uh, MetLife. So I've been with MetLife for two years. And uh, really, my job is to lead a team of uh, talented data analysts and uh, to drive the new data capability for MetLife uh, in our transformation as a digital insurer and also drive the uh, data governance uh, program of work across MetLife. So it contributes to becoming a more data literate organization. And before that, I had various roles in data in uh, financial services and uh, starting my career in consulting back in France um, just a few years ago. And I've been in Australia. It's going to be 12 years this year. Uh, I uh, have two young daughters, two and a half and five and a half. Mm. And I love uh, running, cycling and uh yeah, I hope, and French politics as well, because there's always a lot of drama in there, especially this year, it's going to be a good one, like a Netflix TV series. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, so you've been here for 12 years. So what brought yes. you here initially? Well, I wanted to go to work overseas. So that's why when I started my career, um, I wanted to work for a consulting company to do plenty of things uh, different and uh, a company that was uh, uh, an international company. So I was working at PwC and after three years there, I spent uh, most of my time talking to the partners, asking them, where can I go to pursue my career? And it happened to be Australia. So I moved with PwC. So right. I came for work, but I stayed for love because I met my husband. <laughs> Oh, and like for the beach people. as well. Of course, like so many people. So that's a, that's a good, uh, I guess, piece of information straight away. So you knew as a young data professional you wanted to move overseas and you went, right, how am I going to do that? And you went consulting because that is obviously a lot of big global firms that you can do with that with. So would you suggest that is a good place to start your career if that is an aspiration of yours? Oh, I would definitely advise that uh, for, for, for many reasons. I, I think first is... It, What's important is what you want to do, right? If you if you're just uh, happy where you are, it's like cool. But I think it's important to have an idea of where you want to be in five, ten years. Even though it's not it's not going to happen, it gives you a, a direction. And and this type of moves do not happen in with a click of a fingers. You know, it it takes time to build, uh, to get people to trust you, to to get people to know you to um, get people to give you the opportunities that you want. So I th the first step is know what you want to do, where you want to be, and then make sure that you open as many doors as possible to be able to go in the direction that you want. And then make it happen. You know, don't wait for, don't wait for someone to, to, to knock on your door and offer you an opportunity. It, it never happens this way. You need to you need to so many. I have a few examples in my career where you need to provoke your luck. 
Mm. Yeah, so, do you know what? There's a few people we spoke to for this podcast who said very similar things, right? And I think, you know, when you uh, mental health is a huge thing that people talk about at the moment for obvious reasons. And one of the things people say is in order to help yourself, you have to help yourself. You have to go for that opportunity. If you sit back and wait, mm. you just get into this malaise, this why is nothing ever happened for me? kind of mindset yeah that, that that sort of mindset so really going and grabbing what you want is, is kind of what we're getting at here right and it goes for for everything so what's the what's the worst thing that can happen is that mm. you can learn something that's the worst thing that can happen whether you succeed or you fail you will learn something and that will help you in your in your journey and what a great way to learn things i think you always say this emily not that people further in their careers shouldn't join consulting but early in your career mm-hmm. consultants a great place just to kind of find your feet you, you talk to candidates about this a lot right yeah definitely i feel like there's diversity you learn about taste you learn about different people cultures like there's so much learning in such a short space of time you obviously have first-hand experience so yeah yeah and I, and like um many years later uh people still look at my cv and say oh you you were in consulting so mm. it, it 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 really matters and also your progression through consulting is important. Yeah. Uh, if you just do the same thing in consulting, maybe people don't notice, but the fact that you think you, you also need to, sometimes it can be, someone described it to me one day as a, as a love and hate relationship, right? Yeah. You're going to have, you're going to enjoy working there. You're going to make so many friends. It's high pace. You're going to learn so many things, but, but it's tough as well. You know, sometimes yeah. it can be, can be really hard and um, you have uh, you can have lots of work and and when you when you're young there are probably things that I don't know the politics aspect that you might not really understand but hang in there get to a good level you know don't spend one or two years if you if you want to start your career there I would suggest like get at least to a manager level because you will uh, apprehend different parts of the business not only the doing and the delivery but also the managing people the managing some budgets and starting to go more into um, uh, planning and leadership and i think that's that's very important and and that's a fast track to uh, future roles in corporate organization or wherever you want to yeah. be and the amount of experience you get across different kinds of clients you see how different businesses run things you see yeah. how decisions are made because you're part of that decision-making process. You could even be like a junior consultant in a consulting company, be sat in a room with a senior C-level executive from a client and you're hearing how those thought processes go, right? So yeah, extremely valuable. And obviously you're sat here where you are now, you're attributing a lot of the success to that. Um, To take it back one step further, we'd love to know as well, what was the moment that you knew that I guess you were in the right career that really struck a chord with you. So when I worked at uh, Tal, which is also a life insurance company, so I I started there working as a um, uh, like the, the the role was like a, a business solution manager, if you like. So I had a team of uh, four BAs, and we were supporting the claims team and making the link between the claims team and the technology team, and there were lots of reporting. I really started to be really interested into the reports, the data, and, uh, and I was like, well, actually, that's because that's always what I love to do, not understanding the business, but also talking to the tech people and leveraging technology to help our business people to work better, work more efficiently. And, um, and what happened is... Uh, there was a, a role that opened uh, as the um, uh, head of data in IT. And I knew it was too senior for me at that stage, okay. but, but I was like, well, that's that's when I want to go. I had some ideas. I had worked with the tech guys. Uh, I, I had uh, some really hands-on experience being on the business side that I could bring to, to, to technology. And... Um, and I talked to my boss at the time and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, that's what I want to do. I want to apply. It's too senior for me. But I think this is the type of thing I want to do. And he was very supportive. He was like, do you think you can do the job? And I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, never say no, you know, yes. Okay. Uh, and he was like, yes, so apply. And to his credit, because that was a man, very supportive. Uh, he supported me. 
And I talked to um, the lady who was recruiting at the time, the new GM of, of delivery. And um, and she said, oh, you know, it's uh, I, I want someone a bit more senior, blah, blah, blah. But we really connected. And to this date, she's my mentor now, yeah. many years after. And uh, when the a couple of months later, after she recruited the real head of data, yeah. uh, she there was a role in this team. And... Uh, and the first person to call internally, they called me to join the team because I I had uh, expressed my interest in joining this team, and I was really passionate about joining joining IT. So yeah, so that's how is my journey in data really uh, started. Although I think it has started before because I think data is really the place where you really mix business and technology probably the digital people would say the same yeah but data and digital also linked so um, yeah so that's my story and so one of the things that i've got from that I, I, obviously with you as well emily and we speak to a lot of people in a lot of senses who want to be something else so maybe it's a data engineer who wants to be a data scientist you know maybe it's someone like yourself who wants to be head of data one of the pieces you always suggest is try and get it in the business that you're in it's easier right yeah, hundred percent. Like if, like you've already done with well with the example, right? Like if you can get a piece of work or you can get exposure to something where you're like I'm at least witnessing what's going on, understanding and getting familiar with tools, yeah. language, all that kind of stuff. So important. Yeah, so and obviously you've gone for something there which they said you look. You're probably not going to get it, but you've managed to make the connections with those people. You've stuck in their brain as someone. Oh, yeah. If we need someone, this is someone mm. to go to, right? So I think often we get calls from people saying, oh, well, I'm this at the minute, but I want that. So I need to leave my current company in order to get it. So have you got any advice for people around how you go around those conversations, how you approach people, even if you know you're probably not right for a role or a project? Yeah. Well, I I think but first, I think if you want to move, do a lateral move, if you're in an organization that can provide this opportunity for you, you should you should make it known. That's why we have development plans in place. That's why you have, uh, as a people leader, you have regular conversation with your staff. I'm hoping people do that uh, regularly to uh, to talk about their career aspiration. Like, as a people leader, my job is not to keep the same team with me for the next 10 years, you know. I My job is to help people to grow and develop for the company I work for, for the greater good of at least that's what I think, but for the greater good of the company. And 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 these opportunities are, are here, right? And if you if you do that uh, internally, then people will want to join your team as well because they'll be like, well, I can go in this team, I can learn something new, but I can go to another job uh, internally if and, and this these people leader will promote me and help me. So so that's always a great story for the organization itself to really promote uh those lateral moves and it's much hard and, and because you already have the connection you already have the culture you already know the people uh so you even if you don't tick all the boxes you already bring some um some soft skills with you or some other um insights with you so i would definitely first make it known to your people leader what are your care aspiration? What do you want to do? But don't go to them and say, oh, I want to change. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, cool. so what do you expect you with me to? No, go to them with a thought through uh, proposal and then they will introduce you to to some people and yeah. they will help you to reach out to those people. If they don't, maybe find another boss. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing, right? Maybe yeah. not in the right team. I think people forget, and I forget myself a hell of a lot, is that it's the best attraction strategy for your team. It's, everyone talks about perks and benefits. and it, no, The best attraction strategy is look at these people that you could be like or you want to be like and look how we've helped them. And that's going to help you attract people more than anything. Yeah, and attract and retain as well as a, as a business, right? Because the, those people even if they, they leave your team and they go to another team, then they can become your allies, you know, especially in data, you know, if they someone go into another business unit or something, you can, you open another door, you have a door of entry, so. Brilliant, well, look, that is a great start to today's podcast, so I'm really excited for this. Let's just take a quick segue, we're gonna do the data joke because it's oh. my favorite thing to do 
early on just to get the juices flowing. I'm going to get Emily to go first this time because I feel like virtually it will make it easier for you, Florence. So Emily's got the harder job, obviously, because she has to think of a new one each time. <laughs> if you get even a slight laugh, you're winning is, is, is the vibe here. Yeah, from, from either angle, whether it be like a pity laugh as well. Um, hopefully, I've never had anyone have the same joke as me, though. That's well. true. So yeah. let's hope you've not. Thinking about that, what's the probability of having the same joke, you know? Of course, you thought about the probability, but <laughs> analytical mind. Um, OK, I'm ready. OK. What do a zoo owner and a Python data analyst have in, com have in common? I don't know. What do a zoo owner and a Python analyst have in common? They both import pandas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I <like> it. <laughs> do you know what? You give yourself the biggest laugh out of everyone, but um, I do it for the fans. You do it for the fans, <laughs> yeah. Okay, brilliant. Do you know what? That was not your worst one. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, Florence, are you ready? Yeah. So, okay. um, uh, okay. So I must say that I really love this joke that that makes me laugh on my own. But yeah, every uh, every time I tell this joke, especially to my husband, is like. But do you realize that this is not funny? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so you don't understand. This is absolutely funny. So <laughs> my joke is, um, so that's a data analyst that produced a, a report. And his report is um, three out of five smokers die. <laughs> no, because it means that. So what about the other two? Apparently they are immortal. <laughs> you know that's that's, that, that's what you have to deduct from the joke you know oh, such a data joke it's so good <laughs> yes and that's why it's such a data joke because people don't get it no but then it's smart it means this is so the quintessential of a bad data analysis you know to put that in a report three out of four three out of five smokers die has, has anyone so told you that if you yeah. have to explain your joke it's not a joke yeah, but this is even more joke because you have to explain it. You know, this is this is a as we say in France, mise en abîme. You know, the joke inside the joke. Anyway, oh, the joke is so inception. Joke inception. Yeah, I'll yeah, yes. Yeah. So, right. you no, know, it goes you know deep. What? It wouldn't be the worst joke we've had on this podcast either. No, I've definitely done that. And do you know what the problem? You probably sat here with an audience of non-analysts, both of us sitting there blankly, going, "Okay, we're missing something here." If you told that to a room of data analysts, you'd have them on the floor. Hopefully. Good effort. Anyway, right, moving on. Let's do some more funny stories. So this is one I always like to ask. It causes a little bit of controversy. Which job functions on your travels think they know about data but actually have no idea? Okay, so I'm not going to name and shame oh. anyone here, but I'm just going to say if it's any people who come to you and say to you because you work in data and they're like, and you're like, oh, how can I help you? You know, uh, when you start a new job, for example, and you meet stakeholders and they're like, you know what? We want insights. <laughs> and stop here. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, it really means like they, okay, insights on what, what business problem you, to, you are to solve. Like, do you think I come with a crystal ball and I'm like, no. <laughs> inside for you? So, so those ones. Um, and uh, and people who come to you are like, why why the the data between report A and report B don't match, and you're like ah oh. and, and and you know they make it sound like it's very important question and they, well maybe because you know if you try to do a a, a, a carrot soup and you use some potatoes from this garden and some uh, uh, celery from this other garden, the soup will first never be a carrot soup and it will never taste like a carrot soup and it will never taste the same. So, you know, where are the data? Where they come from? What do you want to do with your data? Why they are two different reports trying to answer the same question? These type of things. So what percentage of people? It's more behaviours, you know, rather yeah, than... Rather than a function. So what percentage of people that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis fall into those categories? Oh yeah, maybe maybe I'll pass, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, okay, buzzwords. Everyone loves buzzwords and data. Everyone hates buzzwords and data. What are your least favorite buzzwords? Uh, so it's uh, ML 
like machine learning and AI, artificial uh, intelligence. Like, you know, when you see, and maybe that's relevant for you guys, but organization that are advertising jobs and like there's a long shop list of things that you're supposed to know about and the like. And being able to use machine learning and AI. Okay, so to do what? So that's it. It's it's not because sometimes you know you just need to fix the fundamentals be, mm -hmm. before you want to look cool. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So many companies out there at the minute are going straight to the AI strategy without even having a data strategy. So yeah, or other things like you know, uh, well that could that could have been another data joke, right? The, <laughs> that uh, you know, uh, it's it's all about if and else statements. So go back to SQL, right? So yeah. there are lots of jokes about that. I don't have one. In uh, do you know what? Do you know what? This is funny because you're the first person who's come on the show said there are lots of jokes about data. <laughs> Every other guest has said there are hardly any jokes about data, but it seems that you find the joy and the funny in, in everything that you do, which is awesome. Oh, well, you have to have to try. One of my motto is uh, do things seriously without taking yourself seriously. So mm. sometimes. You know, it hasn't worked so well, but you have to you have to be who you want to be, you know, and that's it. That's good. That's what we like to hear. Um, well, talk about um, recruiters now because everyone likes to talk about recruiters. Um, what is the funniest sales pitch you've ever had from a recruiter? Ah, yeah, so I had a good one one day. So a recruiter called me and uh, she was explaining to me this like very senior job and really well paid and and then the more I asked her question, uh, the more she was like telling how much people didn't care about. So that was a newly created role by a newly CTO or C whatever. And uh, and she was like, yeah, he really needs a person who can do everything about data, but the organization is really like, no one cares about data. Um, no one, um, like almost like the leadership team is dysfunctional, like all these horrible things yeah. that uh, apart from the apart from the good pay, I think there was nothing else that was like you, you would arrive in the job and and be like, okay, so clearly no one cares about I mean the the too hard, too hard to bother type of thing, even if you pay me a million dollars. I just yeah. It sounds it sounds like the recruiter had given up on the job themselves. Yeah, so uh, maybe she was desperate. Yeah. When she Zero called me, percent. I don't know. Maybe that's why she called me, actually. I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, right? You never know. Uh, it's all, you never know with recruits as well, because obviously this is one of the things in our industry. You, you could have the phone call from someone who's been in it for three minutes or 30 years. You just don't know, right? And she might start a new role and go, and someone's gone, here's a role that we can't fill, you take it and good luck with it, right? So, you know, there's quite low barrier to entry within the mm. recruitment industry. Um, but speaking of the market, recruitment, it's changing a lot. I'm going to come to you first on this, Emily. Like, obviously, it's 2022 now. We're back in, in the new year. Like, what have you been seeing that's changed over the last few months? What's new? What do people need to know about now we're in 2022? Oh, my God. What a broad question. Very broad question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Mm, I'm okay. So there's definitely been a lot of hype around, you know, oh my God, salaries going up. It's ridiculous. The mar market's chaotic and talent short, which it all is very true, but positive outcome, I think, is now starting to stabilize, mm. which is quite nice and breathtaking, basically, because it's been so heavily competitive. Not to say it isn't still, um, but it's starting to stabilize. I'm noticing that there are. More investments in more senior roles, I think. I mean, these don't come around often. The volume's always not as high as like a senior analyst or a batch of senior analysts you need, but that's one thing I'm noticing. Um, and then what else? I mean, salaries have I definitely think, gone up, haven't they? Yeah. They, they are stabilizing, which is good because I don't think it was sustainable yeah. the rate they were going up last year. I mean, I think you recruited last it, year. It was just total, total crazy. Chaos. didn't make sense whatsoever. Do you know what I've also noticed is that like, um, I've said this maybe before, but like everyone is just so easily swept off their feet for money and I mm. actually can't believe it. Like it's oh. just, can you not think for a couple of days at least and think, is this really what I want? Can I just take 10 grand less for a better, 20, 30 grand less for a better job? When yeah. 
I'm just chasing the money, I might be out of it in a year, which is not looking good for your CV mm. or your development. How, how oh, do you find it? Especially, oh. yeah, I totally agree with the development point as well, because um, you you need to think about, I mean, your career is not just about how much money you, you earn, right? I mean, mm. I give you the example about the job, right? Like just now I could have moved into like, yeah, cool, hit much, yeah. much more money, but like what, what after that? And I think that's what you need to think about is if you take a new job, it's like, what, what can be my, what can be my next job? So if you want to be a contractor all your life and that, okay, cool. But if you want, you know, I see people like, oh yeah, I want to build my leadership skills and okay, that that's good. But what do you do to do that? You know, if you move every year but, or to some, if you, how can you build the skills to be able to be a people leader, right? That, that's just an example. So, uh, and yeah, the, if you want to pass a certain level of money, you will need to be a people leader. You know, you will need to do more than just the technical skills. You know, it's more about the soft skills, being able to understand people, being able to influence, being able to talk in layman's term about what is it that you do. So, and this is where you can get more money. So, you know, the, the more money can only go so far. Yeah, it's a good point. We see a lot of people kind of, it's almost like a race to like 160, 170, 180 plus super, mm. like as quick as I can get to that. But then that that's a stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. But so obviously you say some people are happy to kind of get to that point and stay at that point, which is so our most recent talent survey, it was a pretty even split between about a third of the market want to become people leaders, about a third of the market want to be leaders without a team, and then a third of the market never want to lead people. So there's, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. But yeah, there is that there's the green eyed monster is what I call it. Oh, my friend who I started at the same time as is earning $30,000 more than me. So I should be getting that. <laughs> Forgetting that people advance at different stages and, and move through their careers at different stages, but. And and do different things as well. Like what is it that your friend is doing? Like, you know, sometimes uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine and who's more working on the IT side, but he was like, yeah, salaries are, are, are crazy for contractors, but I wouldn't do their job like they just do this stuff because no one wants to do that this is not not interesting not interesting work right so um what is it that the other said sometimes you pay more because for many reasons you know and yeah. uh, you have to ask yourself also what about the culture what about the type of people you want to i think at some stage it becomes really much not it, it's it's what, who you work with mm-hmm. and what, what type of work you you are doing because yeah. if you're going to work just because you are being paid can only go so far Correct. yeah i was gonna say like at some point if you chase the money too much you get to a ceiling where people actually can't afford you and like you've almost like you've overpriced yourself and then mm-hmm. you get the imposter syndrome because you're like yeah. oh my god i actually mm-hmm. can't do this role because i've been paid too much and yeah it's difficult because you can un- like there is a large proportion of the population of the world who do work just for money mm. and that doesn't mean that's a bad thing right that's just mm. that's that's a certain way of looking at it um but then you kind of can't have that mentality and have all the other th- nice things mm. that come with someone who actually mm. wants to invest in a business and be part of the culture you know yeah. so mm. there's that balance between the two and and i'm not saying and and, and then there's people on this side of things who've probably been burned by companies that they've really invested in and then just suddenly out of nowhere they get mm. moved on or and, and they could become bitter and move into this camp and vice versa. Mm. So, you know, it's hard to make these blanket statements. And I think it's funny us sitting here because everyone's like, oh, recruiters complain about salaries and make it just makes their jobs more difficult. I mean, at the end of the day, it's good for us if salaries go up, right? We mm. make money when salaries go up. But at the end of the day, we would much prefer a stable market, mm. yeah. yeah, a sustainable yeah. market. Yes than just something that's absolutely crazy. Um, So so maybe this is a good question to follow up on that is, um, what's the most shambolic interview experience that you've ever had? Yeah, so that's, uh, so when I finished uh, studying, so as I said, I was looking for a job in consulting. So I interviewed with a consulting company that I won't name. And um, so basically this is the type of interview day, you know, when they, you arrive, they put you in a room, 
uh, like you have, I don't know, 30, 40 people in the same room. Oh, yeah. uh, you have the HR talking to you. Then you have a super senior partner who come and talk to you and tell you how awesome his life is. <laughs> He's been with the company for 20 years and he gets headhunted every day. And then you have people start asking questions to feel like this is already part of the interview. And I remember being like, oh, well, first I had a, collar, a suit with collar that day and everyone was dressed the same in black, like men and women. I was like, oh, okay, so clearly I don't tick this box. <laughs> um, and then, so then you do one interview with someone and then you had, uh, so you had several interviews and one of the interview was with two guys, two uh, consultants. And, um, and one was, sorry, but like such such a dickhead like just the, <laughs> like there's no there's no other way to to say that right the way he was asking question like he he thought he was like so important right. and um and at some stage because i studied in uh, in mexico so i said that i could speak fluent spanish and i don't know if it's because he didn't believe me or something like that and all of a sudden he switched in spanish but his accent was so shit and and so i replied to him and Clearly, he gave me that look like, yeah, I don't understand what she just said. Okay. Um, and uh, and then at that time, I look at his other colleague, which had asked no question, and I kind of gave him the look like, this guy's a dickhead, is it? And the dude was a bit like that in the back. You know, <laughs> I, I was like, okay, right. And, and from them, I just completely, I just observed the interview as in a, a, a social experiment, really. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm guessing that you didn't take that job and then you moved on. No, uh, uh, yeah, no, but, but probably they, I don't even know if they selected, uh, they probably didn't select me anyway, so I was just like, okay, no, no way. That's fantastic. I love it when people get caught up in their bullshit. So he obviously thinking he's, he's super smart, he's catching you out, and then he's not realised <laughs> that he's actually caught himself out. Yeah, but what a terrible way to make people feel welcome. But I think maybe when I started my career, I don't know if it's a thing about... French uh, consulting, but yeah, the people working, that, that was a very different culture. Like um, yeah, in the company where I ended up going, clearly someone, someone literally asked me a question, but do you think it's okay to bribe clients for prostitutes? And I was like, oh, uh, that's a question. <laughs> that is not a question. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and like, you know, you talk to a dude who's like already senior and you're just a, fresh like out of uni like oh what's that yeah that brilliant. You know so what? yeah so there are a few uh yeah uh, interesting experiences and you know and, and, and the thing is as well some people are just dickheads and there's yeah, just that's you can hear about it right <laughs> every industry everywhere you go um right we're going to move on to emily on the street because this is one of my favorite segments we find out what the public knows about data today's is really short and sweet we have five responses and the question is, do you know what AWS, Azure, and GCP are? Okay. So how many, I mean, I know you were there, but it was a while ago now. So you don't remember. <laughs> how many people do you think get it right out of five? But you mean like people on the street, like random? Randoms. Oh, random. Oh, I think if you get one person, you're lucky. Okay. One. Because, yeah, it's usually about one or two out of five. I seemingly remember this one i think people did okay on this one maybe because like aws to do with amazon maybe there was something to do with that but anyway what about you i think there was maybe three you can go three okay mm. well let's find out i um, don't think that it's actually quite high i take it back <laughs> you take it back you're <laughs> gonna go two then and a half. two and a half yeah there's a lot of half points that we give out as well all right it's quite short i'm hoping that you can hear this florence what are aws azure and gcp cloud platforms would be like some type of software. Clouds. Cloud technology. They are all programs within the data space. So three. You can give three. I can't. You can't give the software person. Uh, I think two and a half. Emily was right. Two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well done. That's pretty good. That was the one I think people did the best on, and it's the shortest and snappiest one. People just went for that one. Normally they just sat there like, oh. So that was pretty good. I thought. Okay. No, but I thought you would ask them to 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 say the acronyms, you know. So that's oh, why I said. Oh, all right, yeah, okay. Otherwise, maybe I would have pushed to two, but probably not two and a half. I'll be honest. So yeah, there you go. You... That's the highest score that we've had, I think. 
I think we did one oh, recently yeah. where no one got it. I can't remember what it was, but that's pretty good. I guess it's a good sign that people yeah. are to cotton on to what what is going on in the data world. Mm-hmm. I think the big one for me was um, so I watch a lot of American football. And um, AWS have got a partnership with the NFL and they do these adverts where it shows the percentage probability of like a catch being made. And there's constantly adverts about AWS. So maybe that's helped. Right. Okay. Let's go for um, another of my favorite questions, which we didn't get to ask last time because we didn't want to talk about it. If you had an audience with Scott Morrison, everyone's favorite prime minister, what data would you show him? So, yeah, I think I would combine like COVID data, economic data, mental health data, and I'd be like, okay, when can we reopen our borders, dudes? Like, real reopening. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Just, and for so many reasons, because we're talking about recruitment and all that, so that's a great segue. But I think all this, those crazy prices as well is because already we're an industry where we are poor on on, on resources, on, on advanced skills. Um, and yeah, this has just been, this is terrible for our industry. And not just for the current jobs, but also for the pipeline of students that should come here and should... Yeah. Uh, that's so it's a, not it's not a short term thing. It's going to be a long term thing, and I feel Australia is going to suffer from that because you know yeah. even who's which student will want to come here at the other end of the world where you can be like okay you can't go home and yeah. a minute you know so I think we yeah two or three things that we've done that have really shot ourselves in the foot. Number one was how we treated those students and working holiday visas and a non. PR people in the country when COVID hit. So they had no benefits. They were told oh, to yeah. work. They basically couldn't feed themselves, right? So that's the, that's just not a good look for starters. Um, I think secondly, like you've said, yeah, it's not just the talent that we need. It is those students. And it is a case that 80% of our industry have come from overseas. I mean, like with most things in Australia, right? I mean, it's an immigrant mm. country. So, you know, that's the second thing. And this, I had, I was just talking to one of my colleagues today and we've got a guy, it's very frustrating for people externally from Australia because the outward messaging in Australia is we need talent, we are short on talent. They're all sat there in America, India, France, wherever they go, all right, I'll come to Australia. And everyone goes, oh yeah, but we can't sponsor you and it's too hard to bring you here. And, you know, so it just doesn't marry up. No, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. So that's why I'd be like, yeah. yeah, and it's, you, you, it's, not, it's not just the government as well. I mean, it, it, internal workings in, in medium to large size businesses as well, they're not set up to go, right, you're in the US, here's the visa that you need, we're going to sort that for you, we're going to bring you over and you're going to land in Australia in two months. It's very much, oh no, you're over there, mm, too hard. it's too hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't have the answer to that, I'm not an immigration consultant, nor am I in an HR department in a large company and they're probably sat there going well there's reasons why we can't just do it and i don't know what they are but yeah very frustrating for people um right if you weren't working in data i'm gonna ask you as well because you've answered this before but maybe your mind's changed all right if you weren't working in recruitment or data what would be a dream job we'll start with you florence because i reckon you're ready for this so my dream job and maybe in another life. I know we should never say that. We should do it in this current life because we probably don't have another one. Oh, although we can have a life in Metaverse, so I'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think I would uh, I, I would be a stand-up comedian to make people laugh. That is the best. That is the best. You're actually you're very funny, so I, I think that you'd be a good stand-up comedian. Yeah, but I think it's hard to be funny as a stand-up a comedian. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to make I, it, you know, it, it, it's it's like when you like something, oh, you're a good cook, yeah. But then between being a good cook and owning a restaurant, two different things. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think I'm a good home cook and I go eat at a restaurant. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really not that good. But you know what? It's because they put a ton of butter and oil in at the restaurant. That's and right. I can't do that every single day at home because I'll get fat. Right. Yeah, but butter is life, mate. So but I know you're French. I get that. Like, obviously, butter is life, but you can't just put a block yeah. of butter in. Every no, you can put there. Yeah, no, unfortunately not. No, yeah. Do you know what? As well. Um, so I have a really good friend of mine who is a stand-up comedian, and we saw her start from not being a stand-up comedian to now being a like legit like 
on TV on Just for Laughs, like doing Melbourne Comedy Fringe. Amazing. But the journey, and yeah. in a room of four people doing comedy, and oh. it's just oh, yeah. brutal. So, yeah. Um, so do you implement that into your presentations at MetLife when you... Uh, not, not, just, not just at MetLife, but a bit everywhere, you know, like uh, in, 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 in French you say, you, yeah, there's, a, there's an expression for that. And I think since I'm a little girl, I've always been uh, a bit, we call that cabotin or cabotine. So I think I must admit I've always been, yeah, I've always been like that. And yeah, That's it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I try to do that. As, again, you know, this is part, if this is part of who you are, then you yeah. need to show people who you are, you know, and don't be a different person at, in your private life or at work, you know. Be authentic in spite of that's that's what we say right be authentic mm -hmm. self which is why emily's on linkedin doing videos dressed as game of thrones characters trying to find candidates right so oh my gosh know. i miss them where are they i need to look again they are the best videos you could ever watch her and laura are doing these like emily dresses like cersei oh, like a fur coat so good honestly I'm gonna get i will shoes. happily find them for you i promise <laughs> i might repost it just as a throwback just oh yeah yeah please do because yeah. i watched your video emilia i always like them yeah i think it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just people yeah. You'll, you'll hate this one, but... I'll no, no, you'd love to hate this one. It's the cringiest, best thing you'll ever watch. Oh, um, so what would you do, Emily? I'd be an athlete. I'd probably be, oh. like, a triathlete. Oh, wow, that's hard. I don't... I, like, it's hard, but I always dreamt of, like, I don't know, just being um, able to, like, train with personal trainers, be, like, in your best physical shape that you possibly can be, and, like, oh, my God, I'm so passionate about it, because obviously I love it at that time, that it just doesn't seem like work. Yes. You know, it would be difficult. You can do it. You can do oh, it. Oh, no. I'm actually in a, I'm like 28 soon and I will be trapped in, I'm pretty much trapped inside an 80 year old's body. It's like, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm dying on the outside. All my joints and my muscles are going <laughs> already. Imagine what I'm going to be like when I'm like 70. No. <laughs> Find a personal trainer and set yourself a goal and then you, you make it. Wise words. Wise do words. Yeah. Oh, I try it somewhere. Do it. Yeah, just do a triathlon. Just, yeah. just do one. Do okay. one as well. I'll do it in the next year. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hold you. I hold you to that. Actually, that's uh, that's my goal as well to do a triathlon before my forties. Oh, there you go. Oh. You do it together, and then you. So I mean to do a yeah. So I want to do half Ironman, and actually, I mean that's another funny story. I think. So, uh, I like to say that this is how I got the job at MetLife because uh, I put that on my CV, which right. is another advice, you know, like put put your, if, if you're proud of something, put it on your CV in the personal interest because people want to know you, right? We don't just want to hire you for your, because you know how to code in Python and SQL, you know, who you are as a person is important. And yeah. sometimes there's nothing on the section. And for me, that's the most interesting se section when I, no, not the most interesting, but it, this is a very interesting section. <laughs> you just skip straight and and you section. can engage a conversation when you interview people, you know, on a on a personal level. So I had put that, that I did a triathlon, uh, Olympic distance, blah, blah, blah. And that's actually the, the person who recruited me at MetLife. That's the first question he asked me. And he stopped, and it happens that, he is an amazing athlete who had done like like Hawaii, um, the, the, the world championship of triathlon in Hawaii. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, but I'm not that level at all. And he started showing me photos of him doing the triathlon and all that. And I'm like, uh, after half an hour, like, hey, uh, can I maybe talk about my experience? Like, you know, <laughs> for a job, like a job interview. And like, so, yeah, and I got the job. So, yeah. It does help, That's, doesn't it? That sounds like our MD, Simon. He did the exact same thing when I was interviewing at Precision. Mm. I was like in there ready to like prepare, like nearly sweating. And he was like, so you <laughs> lemon. Um, I've got this, this and this. My wife bought me this and went on and off a tangent being like, I love this clothing brand. And it was so funny. And then I was like, cool. So what else do you want to know? <laughs> yeah, no, just Lululemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a good interview technique. So, so Simon, yeah, he does that with every person that he interviews. He tries to find somewhere in common because it can show you as well, like how passionate someone is about something or you just someone who just says things, but you aren't really that bothered, right? So mm. it is a good technique to do. I think you can do a triathlon. All the people that yeah, I know. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do it tomorrow. I think you'll fit in I love that. No, I'm not. Yeah, I love are, the, um, I love the backing behind me. 
Good. All Look, right. Once you pay for your registration, and tell that's what pay for your registration. Tell everyone. Yeah, tell everyone. Then you put enough pressure on yourself that you can't not do it. You know, so. Maybe I'll pay for your registration and get it for you, and then you have to do it. Oh my gift. god! <laughs> no, it's like it's like going to the shrink. You know, you need to pay for your own therapy. Yeah. yeah, they work. And... That makes sense. Sure. Um, so speaking of colleagues, who's the most amazing colleague that you've ever worked with, and why? Oh, there's usually lots of amazing colleagues, really. Uh, but I think uh, I, I generally really like people who are like uh, personable geeks. So uh, and uh, so, yeah, I love geeks, but fun ones, you know, who like taking the piece of themselves and uh, yeah, I really love those people. And uh, and also um, EAs and PAs because they're often like so so resourceful and so fun and um, and they're also very good psychologists, you know, to work with. Uh, uh, executives and then often they don't work just for one exec they they work for a few of them so they need to adapt their styles so yeah I think that would be my two types of best friend in a company like the the personable geeks and the EAs yeah that's awesome you like my <laughs> wife then she was a PA for many years um, she had to be a PA for our boss Simon and that's probably one of the hardest jobs that you could ever have because I don't think he even knows what he's thinking sometimes so yeah because yeah. what I really noticed when you're a PA as well is that not your life, but your your job is to basically understand the this person or these are three people, just what they're thinking without them yeah. even saying it. Mm, exactly. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're so um, really like the EQ is like mm. to the roof. And you know, know when they're coming at you, but they're not actually coming at you. Mm. They're just other things going on. You've got to take it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. controversial, but maybe that's why a lot of big CEOs have you know, relationships with PAs, EAs, or they end up marrying them. Yeah, good point. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't really go the, the other way. No, you no. know, female and male EA. Mm. That, that's maybe a topic for another conversation. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the EA world. Tangent. <laughs> Definitely tangent. Right, um, a really important question. Um, what would you tell 21-year-old Florence to help yeah. them? I really like this question, I yeah. must admit, and uh, I often reflect on that, and uh, that's why I try to tell my daughters now, and uh, I would tell the 21-year-old myself, uh, you only compete with yourself, do what you love, and don't be too caught up by what other people think of you. That's really the name, because at the end of the day, everyone's different, everyone yeah. has different dreams, the definition of success is different for every single person. So, yeah, just don't don't compare yourself with others. I think especially if you are in a. I mean, personally, I've always like the, the in France we have a bit of an elitist education system, so it's very competitive from a very early age, right? And uh, and so you always compare yourself against against others. Right, so you do, uh, yeah, you like which uh, which mark marks you get, uh, which school you get into, which consulting firm you get to work in, which team you get to work in, which grade you get to get in, and it's just, you know, at the end of the day, this is this doesn't it might not work for different people, so it might not work for you. Everyone's really running their own race, and do you know what? It's amazing. So Emily's got someone amazing in her team a young lady called Sakara who's 21 and she's reading the book at the minute so she's telling herself this own advice so she's ahead of you and me anyway Florence and she's reading the book about um, not comparing yourself to other people um, and she's 21 so she's obviously figured that out already without us telling her um, because even especially for young people today I guess when we were younger less social media less online you're not now you're comparing yourself to seven billion people not just your small mm or your school you know so I think that yeah. advice is even more pertinent now than ever and 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 I and I feel that it's interesting because it can be the two extremes with young people you know exactly what you say like there's they, they compare themselves a lot and social media and all that but but at the same time I think lots and, and that's what we say is about the 
the millennials, right? It's like they they want to to have things their their own way, and I find they much some of them are much more mature already with regards to uh, what they want to do and comparing themselves to no one but just to themselves. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Right, so we're coming up to to the end, wrapping up. Um, important that we talk first about current working cultures because it's super relevant. Um, we'll ease into it with the funniest video call that you've had over the last couple of years. Okay, so that was uh, obviously in lockdown where lots mm. of things happened. So um, when I had my older daughter at home and um, so I was on a call with uh, global people some people from the US, from India, from uh, Europe. And uh, we were talking about, they, asked, they were asking me to explain the, the, what type of architecture we had in Australia. So I was talking about that. And this is where my daughter had decided to go to the toilet at that time and was coming and screaming, I'm finished. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you imagine that uh, what I was doing while talking about data architecture. To <laughs> and how old was your daughter at this time? I think she, that's when she was four, four and a half. Perfect. Yeah. That's a great age. Perfect um, timing. Yeah. yeah, really good timing. So, more importantly, work cultures, flexibility, the future work. I mean, obviously, you're sat at home. We've had a very weird start to 2022 with businesses i don't think really knowing what the policy should be of letting people back to the office and not right when no one knows where we stand um on one hand the government's telling us to live with it the other hand they say no dancing who bloody knows let's get rid of the covid out of the conversation what for you is going to be important for the future work the future of a culture the future flexibility yeah so definitely uh i think it's a mix of uh flexibility and 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 connection right and not technology connection but real life connection because um yeah now you know the lines between private life and professional life are quite blur which is fine and 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 it's great to have uh, the flexibility to um do things that you have to do during the day and and do some work later at different times as long as you just do the work that you have to do Mm. But the like hundred percent working from home, flexible, etc. Uh, I think can also reach its own limits because your culture starts to really dilute in just having uh, only transactional interaction with people. And but, but again, I think it depends what it depends what you do. But if you work for a um, company with little bit more than like, I don't know, like 30 people, maybe you, at some stage, you you also part of a, part of a, a tribe, if you like, and if you want to achieve things together, it's, you, you need to have this personal connection with people. And I think that's why uh, the, I, I feel the hybrid model is what will, um, prevail in the in the future yeah um then the big question is how to implement this hybrid model right yeah because yeah. and this is where you can use data because to to figure out when people are here more often than not in the office and being able to spread that evenly through the week right because first most people are like, oh yeah i work from home on monday and friday so yeah. kind of ease into the week and early yeah. weekend, yeah. but the week is still five days, right? Some companies do four days, I know guys do four days, which is also another another example, right? But I think the consistency in your approach to hybrid work and flexibility and being able to communicate that to the why to, to your team is very important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you say, we're going to work four days, we all work four days and there's, uh, there's, a, there's a framework to do these things, right? Within this framework, you do whatever you want, but there's a framework and we all adhere to that. You have to have the framework. I think the difficult piece is the why piece because, so now again, the talent survey that we've just done, over 50% of the data professionals are working from home five days a week at the minute. Now, obviously, yes, COVID, but that means a lot of people got used to that. 
and that's yeah. what they want. So then to either convince people to come back into the office in your current team, or if you're moving a job to say, well, we work in the office two days a week, and that person says, well, I can do my job effectively at home five days. Mm. So why should I come into the office? To be able to communicate that gap is the key piece here, right? But I would really challenge, like, are you? What, what do you mean by effective? You know, yeah. like, are you being paid to by the number of lines of codes that you produce during a day? No, you know, right. if you work in data, I mean, most of your work should be not just it's not just technical uh it's it's really a people work first you know like talking to, to talking to people who don't really get data bring them on the journey with you uh to be able to do that you need to build this relationship otherwise again you're going to be in a very transactional mode and 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 be just an order taker but as a data professional you should be a business partner not just an order taker and this cannot be achieved by just just doing lines of codes yeah i was going to say i feel like we've all had to change and adapt our lives for the last two years so dramatically and like quick sharp mm. so a lot of people playing devil's advocate on the five days a week at home 50 percent of the people from this talent survey like maybe they've just adopted a different way of life with their families and mm. work better for them so then having to change and uproot that is really difficult so somehow making that transition really like slow steady and like incremental yeah. is probably the best way i think for people to do it really. and, and and then you've got to kind of have that battle between those who might be working five days from home it's like uh, rachel in friends if you watch friends where she doesn't smoke and she loses out because they go out to the smoking area and they're all talking about work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Smoking. So the people working from home, we start feeling like they're missing out on opportunities. Yeah. But then the flip side of the people in the office, they're like, well, you chose to work at home and oh, no, minefield. So, you know, it, it, it's not going to be easy. Um, right. Before we ask the final question, which is my favorite question about the zombie apocalypse, which I won't ask you again, because no, I've no. asked you quite recently. Yeah. <laughs> you said that you're OK to answer the what is your best party trick? question which most people don't have an idea for which i think you you didn't even have an idea for what is your hidden talent folks uh, yeah so um i uh i i i played the guitar now i don't play so much and i and i and i write songs i wrote songs okay, yeah and um and one day with my sister we just jammed with the guitar and and created a song live that is like just on the spot and we were recording ourselves at that time and then when we listened to the song we're like oh my god that's such a cool song no way. So the song is, is called uh and and if i i need to have a certain level of um alcoholic substance or something like that to be able to sing this to get to the stage where i take the guitar and sing the song but um yeah i i'll take the guitar and sing the song of uh, that is called miss padawan miss padawan so is it anything with star wars by any chance no it's it, yeah then i will stop here for the okay. you yeah maybe one day you invite me to a to, to a party we have fun and i can pick up the guitar <laughs> and, and, I, and i'll sing the song with you yeah. yes. the and, most yeah. important thing i heard out of that whole bit was that you've recorded it yeah 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 i have a recording this somewhere is a recording the, that is Spider-Man. but yeah but i would have to change my name you know to be able to to share it so okay. it's, what it's, about a bit, you... it's a bit controversial maybe when i do my stand-up comedian career i can uh i can start <laughs> with but yeah could you share it with just me and emily is that something we can have off air uh, we can we, we can we can discuss that there's various recordings actually because uh because sometimes I just grab the guitar in the bar and do it, or if there's, yeah, I did that on a few occasions, so, yeah. Okay, I can, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. We're going to go for a drink, too. We're going to go yeah. for a drink. I'm going to bring yeah, in yeah, the guitar. Drink. Yeah, <laughs> That's the best. Okay, final question, most important question. I don't know why it's the most important question, but my favourite. <laughs> Which three people would you want in a zombie apocalypse? Now, before you answer, there's one person who gets mentioned every single podcast and we haven't spoken about him yet. I won't tell you who it is, but I'm interested to see if it comes up for you as well. Family? Caveat? Oh yeah, your family's in a bunker safe. Yeah. So you're not bringing your family. They're safe. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think people would have my people or okay, people well. out there. Um, but so I think, so I would bring um, uh, Joan of Arc because she can raise an army, you know, and she can like, 
she did that for the French with the English, so I'm yeah. pretty sure she would be good. Yeah. At the time, you know, the French people were not that good against the English, but she managed to kick their ass. So. I've also been a bit scared that she'd be dropped in and gone, what the hell is going on here? Because she'd be trying to fight with swords and everyone had machine guns. But I get what you're saying. I like <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, so you get that. And um, then I would I would probably be bring uh, our French president, Emmanuel Macron, because maybe if we don't get to to uh, win the the battle, he could maybe start negotiation and and um because he's always like no right no left uh, this and that at the same time so he could be like no death uh, no 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 living uh, no no zombies we all won and maybe uh, so i would bank on his um diplomatic um uh, uh skills and maybe he would be elected president i don't know <laughs> at least for the first five years Sure. We don't know what happened after the next five years. And, uh, and I would bring as well um, uh, Proust, the French writer, because he could, he could write a novel about what he sees. And because he's such an amazing writer, people could read this in so many years after and really feel that they, by reading the book, they could feel that they are living again the experience of the zombie apocalypse. I love how you fully lent into your French heritage. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're right. No one else has had any of those three that you mentioned. So you've got <laughs> unique people. I also like the hope that you're going to win the war against the zombies that you've already thought about post zombie apocalypse. Yeah. You know, I think that's a good thing. Or make peace. You know, it's. Peace with the zombies. <laughs> oh, I like it. Well, um, you've said it all. Um, I really enjoyed that, Florence. Thank you very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Oh, that was uh, such an awesome experience. You guys are great. You're doing some great job. Uh, I'm doing a bit of your promotion here, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, uh, I think maybe just the last thing is, uh, yeah, if you have an opportunity in life, just uh, just grab it and put all, do your homework and put all the chances on your side to provoke your luck. That's definitely going to be the tagline for yeah, this tagline. podcast. That's sorted. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Florence. Emily, that was awesome. Thank you so much as always. Um, and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Um, we've got some amazing guests this series. So thank you all for listening.